Welcome to Radio Survivor. I'm Paul Reesmandel. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Klein. And I'm Jennifer Waits. Today, we've got a bunch of news to kind of catch up on uh, happening in the world of college radio, community radio, low power FM, and podcasting. I think that that kind of covers everything. It's been sort of eventful. And, you know, what's great is that readers and listeners uh, contact us and tip us off to things, uh, updates about stations we've talked to or talked about in the past, helping us uh, keep track of different stories that are a little longitudinal. Longitudinal? Yes. Like uh, covering uh, covering ground longitudinally. What is longitudinal? Well, it's the idea that instead of like covering... over time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Instead of covering a story and then it's it, and then boom, it's like it happens and then that's it. Thinking about these things as, as evolving, right? Sure. And so we can follow up, and we do so, and we're explicit when we follow up. Where you say, "Hey, we talked to these people a year ago, two years ago, and now we're following up on this story. When, we're not treating it as just like these one-time events that fall out of the sky." When when you focus on radio stations the way Radio Survivor does longitudinally is really one of the only ways you can look at things because stations don't exist in the moment, although they always do. Uh, every station, every college radio station, every community radio station is is exactly what it is on the air right now saying or playing. But also, uh, as I've learned from Jennifer Waits's work, the, the history, you know, just because today... Uh, people might be arguing about what music to play. Doesn't mean that uh, 28 years ago, when that college radio station was founded, uh, the same arguments were the same. Like every, everything is longitudinal in community and college radio. Yes, it just isn't always uh, treated that way in the press. When it's in, right. in those few times when it is actually uh, treated by the press. So let's go to a station. Uh, that we've talked about a few times on this show. Jennifer, you've covered it at radiosurvivor.com. K-U-N-V. And they're at uh, the University of of Nevada, Las Vegas, correct? Yes. Yeah, we, we talked about K-U-N-V pretty extensively on episodes 27, 28, 77, and 113. Yeah, that's longitudinal. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So... Initially, we started talking about the station in December 2015 because there was a proposal by Nevada Public Radio to take over the programming um, of the it's – it's a jazz-oriented public radio station that has student involvement at University of Nevada, mm. Las Vegas, but it's under control of, of um, people at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So there's, there was a proposal by Nevada Public Radio to take over the programming and – do a music discovery format. And after that, there were protests and conversations. And and so we, we talked about that on the podcast with a number of people from different points of view. And, and then about a year later, uh, a decision was made to actually keep control of the station on campus. So we covered that as well. And, and, and when you said multiple points of view, we talked to the head of Nevada Public Radio, which was the we organization did. looking, making a proposal to take over the station, as well as principals from the station. We tried to tried to to look yeah. at look at many and, sides, and 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 to their credit, uh, the the person from Nevada Public Radio was very happy to speak with yeah, us. And we also spoke with an individual who more represented, um, uh, you know, community voices uh, at that college radio station at that 
community-oriented college radio station. And what was exciting about uh, covering that story in the past to me was here on Radio Survivor, I know that um, Jennifer, right, you, you know, you cover college radio and you're, you, you've, you've done a lot to help me understand the um, intricacies and the excitement of college radio history. And a lot of, um, a lot of stories of college radio stations throughout the United States include um, like a founding, a flourishing, and then a downfall there are there are not all stories of college radio end with the with the station going off the air, but many have. And right, and this was a moment where where we were on the air as a podcast, and um and 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 the story was developing as we were there, uh, so we could cover it in more of a you know instead of looking at it from the outside, we sort of had the opportunity as journalists or looking at it in retrospect. Right, instead of looking at it backwards yeah. in time, we we got to we got to talk about it in the present tense, uh, and that and, was back in 2015. And and for those of us who enjoy hearing about stations that remain under control of a campus. It was an example of where having community feedback and discussion and protests actually ended up changing the mind of the university. So to me, that was gratifying. Um, and and I, I want to point out, it's an interesting station. So KUNV, mostly jazz-oriented. Uh, and there's also a student-run HD2 station uh, called Rebel Radio at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So, right, we spoke with Rebel Radio's um, student. Yeah, we, student, we talked to them uh, too. Manager, the manager of the station, who is a student. So that's more of what you might stereotype as a college radio station with, you know, more a greater variety of music and freeform programming, um, and and some of that type of programming was also on KUNV, uh, which is what has led to. The latest news where they made some programming changes this summer that that got reported on um, in numerous publications, and there were some longtime community community shows that went off the air. So not necessarily student shows, but but shows led by people from the community, including a show called Word Up, a hip hop show that had been on the station for eighteen years. Mm. So so there are articles critiquing this change. Um, it was a programming change to a new format they're calling Jazz and More. So they're kind of tightening up their programming. And so there are some articles, you know, talking about the loss of some of these longtime shows, which understandably people might be upset about. Um, and then another headline this August in the Nevada Current reads, Failed Bank Robber Programming UNLV Radio Station. So there was also controversy because one of the folks involved with coming up with some of the programming ideas, it, you know, people unearthed a criminal past for this person. Is this person an employee of the university or were they like a consultant? Uh, I mean, it sounds like a consultant who uh, was related to another person at the station, but I'm not sure you about You mean like familially that. related? Uh, or in a relationship with, I can't I remember see. if, you uh-huh. know, um, but I don't know. I don't know who's getting paid. Uh, I, I can't clarify that for sure. But in any event, these are the type, types of conversations that were swirling around and stories that were swirling around. We, we can't say changes. that we can say that the, the changes that are happening at this radio station KUNV. are causing, uh, yeah, are, are 
are causing uh, stories to be written in the local press. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and and then, you know, so I was coming through the stories and also amid all of that, um, the longtime general manager has left the station, Frank Muller, who we have spoken with on the podcast. So I, I reached out to him to kind of get a sense about what's going on and asked if he wanted to clear up any misperceptions that might be out there. Um, and, you know, the impression I get from him is that these programming changes were a long time. They've been planned for a long time, essentially. So, and and, and part of the same overall um, mission when the station was saved from this takeover Um it also meant a rethinking of the station's purpose and their goals. And so as part of that, they have been thinking a lot about how do we increase, how do we increase our audience, how do we increase student participation, a number of factors. So the programming changes are in line with some of these topics that they have been discussing as a station mm. for quite a while. Um, and, and he had been planning to leave the station for a while, too, so he didn't leave he didn't leave uh, in some sort of protest or cloud of controversy. Um, in fact, he stayed on longer to kind of help implement some of these things. So it was good to clear that up. And and some of the articles also mentioned loss of student programming. And, uh, and he tells me that that's not entirely correct. Yeah. Um, and that they actually... After some of the initial changes happened, they they made a few more changes, and that student programming. And in fact, he's quoted an art, an update to one of the articles saying that student programming is going to be returning to the evening hours, and will because uh, initially there was talk that things like hip hop and rock and electronic music would be leaving the new KUNV format entirely, and it sounds like that sort of music is going to come back, but it's going to be through bands that have some sort of link with jazz, with the jazz uh-huh. format that they're so, really focusing on. And so maybe students who, who are able to program that or willing to program that will have an opportunity to do yeah. so. You know what this makes me? Yeah. I think that this is how I want to, I want to say this to the listeners of Radio Survivor. I was once an insider at a station that occasionally, uh, what was going on at my workplace, my radio station, my community station, uh, would would bubble up and become a news story. And one of the frustrating things was, um, and one of the one of the great things about community radio, but also becomes frustrating when it when it hits the newspapers, the local papers, is that there are so many people involved in a station that. Uh, it's it's harder to report on it from the outside than maybe other types of organizations that have much more clear cut boundaries, or also yeah. may also have much more clear cut um, hierarchies. Hierarchies, right. yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, these are the people who are paid to work here, and these are the people who are paid to run it, and these are the people who are responsible for it. And community radio, one of its strengths, and of course one of its weaknesses, is the, those those lines are uh, fuzzier. More people uh, can be included in having a lot more authority to make a lot more decisions. And yet, uh, sometimes when things uh, don't go so great for these stations, or at least when controversies end up in the press, and then what happens with local reporters 
who don't have a huge amount of resources, who don't have all the time in the world, who are often assigned to these stories and need to report them in about a day or so, they'll get a couple sources and they'll talk to them and that's that's all the information they can possibly have and they're not going to go unwind the rest of the mishigas of what's happening at a station. And so more often than not, when stuff that goes on at a community radio station, at a college radio station, when it hits the papers, it's never satisfying. <laughs> it never unravels the real truth. Yeah. It never it's really... It's so complicated. Right. It's always so complicated. And, and, we're, and we're giving a slice of it right now, too. Right. And, um, you know, like many of these stories, Paul mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast that, you know, people will send us information about stories, at, which a number of people did about the changes at KUNV. Right. And and it's really complicated, and and we can't we don't always have the time or resources here at Radio Survivor to do investigative work. Um, but it reached the point where I figured, you know, since we had covered KUNV so much on the podcast, we really owed it to people to do at least a little bit of investigative work to see what's going on there. So this is not meant to be a full fledged investigation into programming sure, at KUNV. Right. But I wanted to at least share an update that programming has changed and that there are mixed reactions. Well, it's, it's to almost that like a programming health, change. It's almost like a health check, I think. So we're talking about KUNV, right, which is a, a college station that averted being sold. It lives on with this hybrid community uh, college format. It it it's, it's always had a jazz well, focus, and we, and we don't know for sure that it was going to be sold. I think at the time it, it averted like having. Being managed by yeah. by a public okay. by an NPR affiliate by a gigantic okay. NPR affiliate. So averted averted yeah. a, a, a more radical change right. in operations uh, has always had this sort of jazz format. Um, that's uh, many community DJs are running, and then some students on the air. And you know, when when we last talked with uh, the then the general manager Frank Muller uh, about a year ago, o- October 2017, it was about sort of the success that they'd had there in integrating. Right students into the station and giving them an opportunity to participate in a number of ways and how, uh, in part, he'd been inspired and, and received some great mentorship uh, from the manager at the Fordham University right. radio station. Right, WFUV. You know, and so now we're sort of checking in almost a year later, right? And what we're hearing fr- from Frank Muller is that, uh, so yes, there are changes, and, and a lot of that has much more to do with us trying to sharpen the focus at the, at the station, which, you know, results in some shows going away and that always results in some people being upset uh and that's any any show when you know when network television cancels something people are upset when that show goes away but but at the same time it sounds like the station's continuing on in its basic direction of being jazz and trying to think of how does jazz connect up with other genres be it maybe hip-hop be it rock um, and other popular music genres, and continuing with wanting to have a, a student input. But it took us a while to, to uncover that that's the story going on underneath here, because mm-hmm. what tends to get people excited and what tends to get people's attention is the sense that there's loss, right? And that we're losing shows, yeah. uh, as well as then you have this other sort of uh, more salacious it's <laughs> kind of tabloidy story that somebody who was consulting right. or somehow involved had a criminal past, which right. which may not invalidate at all any of their work. It doesn't seem to invalidate what's going on, but certainly is more it, likely it to makes, get a headline. Yeah, it makes for a dramatic headline. Um, and, you know, and talking to, to Frank Muller, you know, the, it's it's pretty clear that the station has been thinking really 
has been very thoughtful about how students are involved, and and he outlined a number of ways that um, another a number of opportunities for students and specific things that they're hoping students will work on developing in the future. Um, so it, it it's clear that students are still a big part of the whole vision for the station, mm-hmm. and and there isn't meant to be any sort of loss of student involvement, which I think is important. Since the last time we spoke to him, we you know had a really great conversation about the work they were doing to make sure that students were having meaningful experiences at KUNV. That's great. I think we want a radio survivor. We just want to wish everybody who works at KUNV and everyone who loves listening to KUNV, we wish them the best. Our hearts go out to everybody who loves radio. Can I, can I pull back the curtain for a moment here at radio survivor? Uh, You know, we've been doing this uh, as, as a website for nine and a half years. We've been doing this podcast now for uh, going on to three years. And I think sometimes it's always a question what we all have to answer and ask ourselves is, you know, we hear about changes at a college or community or public radio station. uh, And often people are upset and the change you know, may be controversial in that community. And the changes sometimes are, are massive, sometimes they're minor, or, you know, at least in scale and scope. It may be just one program, it may be lots of programs. And we have to sort of always kind of ask ourselves, you know, is this something which deserves a light to be shown on it, right? Because, and, and, and it's always a question because on the one hand, I mean, these are kind of local issues and they're not necessarily global they don't necessarily have global impact wow. but they can be important to the people who are there that's and and often the people many people who are upset you know there we, we will we'll receive emails and we'll receive calls where people are alleging there's malfeasance involved uh and you know that maybe that decisions were not made either according to policy or or there's other things going on we know historically it's a fact that often as these situations evolve or devolve that lawsuits yeah, are, filed. are filed exactly and the question is you know is this something where we dig in and is this you know does this going to requ- right. deserve our time and, and often the question i have is 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 not you know does that situation deserve our time per se it is what's the larger narrative we can take away how is us talking about it to a larger audience, spreading it much more outside of an area um, and and either online or in the show. Uh, How does that build a narrative? How does help people with making shows, making stations, doing the good work of creating amazing radio? Because sometimes uh, one of the narratives that we would push back on that I know Matthew Lassar would devoted parts of his career to – covering Pacifica Radio is that the downfall of Pacifica Radio is uh, actually the downfall of all radio. Radio is dying, and that's why Pacifica is having so much trouble. I mean, that's like one that's one narrative, that especially, um, especially like about 10 years ago as the articles were being written. It was like, well, of course well, yeah. Pacifica Radio is having trouble. All radio is going to go the way of the dinosaur, It was, um, and- which is a narrative that is not, uh, popular around radio survivors. Uh, well, and it, yeah, and it also touches on my fear with every sort of college radio controversy story or takeover. You know, we have to make editorial decisions because if we did podcasts or stories every week, you know, highlighting right. negative stories, then 
it gives it gives the appearance of oh you know college radio stations are in trouble all the time and you know there are controversies over programming all the time and uh, you know that, that's why potatoes. i like to do yeah that's why i do my weekly college radio news roundup where i'm sharing all the news i found for the week you know which could be stories about a record fair or about a new station or you know just the random interesting things that happen in radio every week rather than the high profile controversial stories that that tend to be the ones that you see in the national press and and if we covered these much more so than we did and we do on our website particular i mean i've watched the traffic if we if we wanted to if we wanted to to up the clicks uh, you know, the more salacious, the more, and especially the more things turn out to be about in, interpersonal drama, yeah. right? We would, I mean, we get the clicks because if, if we're writing about somebody's station and controversies there, those people are going to going to read it. And then other people who, who like to kind of, uh, who are a little, see it a little bit voyeuristically are going to, to look at it. And people who have like these overarching, uh, opinions and agendas about community radio. There's not a lot of them, but there's some of them. They're gonna they're gonna read it, and we will see a bump in traffic. And of course, we don't monetize traffic. We don't sell ads on our on our site. So at this point, it doesn't really help us. But in the past, we did, um, and and yet we didn't because it, it felt cheap after a while. It felt like no, we're you wonder are you are you just sort of essentially um, you know profiting from somebody else's problems really? Yeah. And it's more about I think it's more interesting to me that we that we look at when when there are moments of breakthrough in their solutions, and that's why even KUNV having this check in on this station that could, that seems to still be going despite some kerfuffle, right? And, and when I wrote an email to, to Jennifer, she was proposing this uh, for the show. I said, "Is this all all is this all smoke and no fire?" Right? And it turns out, well, mostly yes. But I think even the fact that it, there was enough that much smoke deserves us coming in and sort of pointing at the at the embers as opposed to the the shooting flames. <laughs> Very nicely stated, Paul. <laughs> I love to stretch a metaphor if you if you figured that out. And this is Radio Survivor. We love radio. We love audio. <laughs> Maybe that's our new tagline. That's why we're here. Jennifer Waits is joining us from San Francisco. You just heard her voice. Uh, with me in the studio is Eric Klein. Hello, everybody. And I'm Paul Reesmandel. And uh, we're catching up on news about college radio, community radio, low power FM, and podcasting today. Because uh, there's just... It's insane how much has gone on yeah. in the last few weeks. I want to put in a plug before we move on to the next segment that last week's episode of Radio Survivor, yes. um, we, we had a lot of really wonderful, really wonderful archival sound from a National Federation of Community Broadcasters archive and not just one piece of tape. But more than one piece of tape was kind of about that last segment that we just discussed. This fact that uh, community radio and college radio stations go through changes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not always positive, not always negative, but we had some really great tape about that. And for me, um, as somebody who lived through, uh, uh, you know, some some very um, uh, thrilling and terrible changes at a radio station in in the aughts to hear that nothing has changed for these kinds of stations that 1968 people who ran radio stations were complaining about the same sorts of problems as 2012 2018 
uh, we you know we listened to a documentary uh, just briefly on on last week's episode, um, but a documentary that was uh, a twenty five minute documentary produced by uh, women at the radio station at Georgetown University about the end of their radio station in the early seventies. And it's- oh yeah, it was a it was actually a temporary shutdown. I was so I was so piqued by the the clip that you included in the episode, Eric, uh-huh. that I. I dug in and listened to the entire thing, and it was sort of a brief shutdown after a bunch of different controversies. There you go. We, we could do. We could actually. It's if, amazing. Every clip that I played on last week's episode, um, we could actually expand those into full length to full histories. Yeah, because there was a lot there. It was a really wonderful archive. Check out last episode one fifty eight. Yeah, and the show notes there. If you if you like digging, uh, there was a whole lot to dig into. Yeah, the the episode well, title included. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, you included a great uh, interview with Lily Tomlin too, which I don't think is is pointed out in the description of the show. So that's kind of a bonus, a little bonus thing in there for people who tune in. Yeah, uh, nine, seven, probably late seventies. I'm going to assume not everything was dated because a lot, all of these reels sort of came to the NFCB archive. Um, adorably disheveled uh, like you know with their hair uncombed i'd like to think you know cardboard boxes a little ripped labels a little bit peeling so there's no telling exactly where or when i mean one thing that we didn't know with with a lot of these archives is um who were the producers that were holding the microphones that made these tapes we know that we know that lily tomlin was being interviewed i actually uh do not know who the man was who was holding the microphone. Uh, thank you mm. to that person from the from the 70s doing that interview. So that is uh, episode number 158 called Surveying Community Radio's Deep Archives. And you can go back, if you missed it, go and listen to it. You can go to our website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, be it iTunes or Stitcher, or or it's pretty much anywhere. I don't need to list them all out. <laughs> Go look for a podcast. You'll find our podcast. You can listen anytime. It'll date this episode if you list them all. Like by the time That's three right. years go by, the list will seem very 2018. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm presuming Apple's going to stick around, and I work for They'll Stitcher, so I'm hoping Stitcher's going to stick around. They'll probably <laughs> Apple will probably rebrand what the podcast app is called in the next. That's couple right. Of years. We're, we're going to lose the name podcasting, but if we do, then we're all this is all all water under the bridge. I we um I nominate radio. Okay, radio is I think a pretty good noun for it what is, we do here. It's radio on demand, Jennifer. Uh, yes. So unfortunately, we, we we go from talking about a station that is that is staying the course to one where <laughs> there is there is some question about it, uh, and and it I possibly know. a college station possibly uh, going on the auction block. I know, just something I said that we don't like to talk about. Um, well, so I don't know that we've talked about it on the podcast, but I've written about the University of Evansville College Radio Station WUEV, and in May we reported that that the school was considering selling the station. And and then more recently, there's some news reports that that rumors are swirling, that there seems to be kind of an uptick in conversation, and that the school may be closer to actually selling the, li- the FM license for WUEV. And, and we've had some folks reaching out to us about it. Um, it. It's hard to kind of figure out what's going on um and the school has been telling news publications that there's nothing specific to share um but it seems to be the point which could where, mean anything which could mean anything it, there there's an effort among 
listeners, supporters, and alumni to reach out to the school and try to convince them to not sell the license. So since it appears to be at that point, uh, I figured it was worth sharing this news uh, in case there are folks out there who would like to write a letter of support for the station if you are interested in helping to keep WUEV on campus at University of Evansville. And they've been through this before, right? Well, yeah. See, that's that's the thing for me that is that's sad about this. Um, back, oh, I guess back nearly seven years ago, maybe, I was looking for examples of stations that had successfully fought off sale attempts uh, because it was around the time that KUSF-FM was shut down and and people were looking for examples and signs of hope that if you protested, you might be able to convince your administration to keep a station on campus. Right. And what so was w- significant about KUSF's uh, closure that is worth uh, bringing up now is that here was a, um, a, a college station that was extremely valuable to a community of people in the city of San Francisco. It existed on campus, but included lots of community members coming in and out of the station, either um, as gigantic fans or as um, DJs. It had been on the air for decades, and um, it closed overnight after a lot of secret backroom talks. And so that's why mm-hmm. um, when when Jennifer, when you suggest that uh, there's no news to report, dot, 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 well, that could mean anything because we know historically many of these sales have happened um, without any public information being available until the sale is a done deal because that's the way that's the best way to accomplish your goals if you're, if there's a lot of uh, if communities find out that that things are happening oh, yeah. uh, they can slow things down and that's often part of the agreement is that people can't talk about it and you know, in some cases, stations have learned about potential sales when things were done in the wrong order, like at Vanderbilt University, somebody noticed that the call letters for the station had been changed, right. <laughs> which was the tip off that something was going on behind the scenes. But th- that's the kind of thing that happens in like a, an FCC filing, right? It, 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 right. It, 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 it might be subtle and it might be a little bit before it becomes public. Right. Yes. People, you know, if you're looking in the right places, which... Pu- you know. And they are public disclosures. They're just, you need to know how to work mm-hmm. the FCC database. Exactly. So so back in 2011, I, I did what I think is this great piece where I talked to a lot of people who had worked on the fight to save WUEV back around 2005. And, and people laid out exactly how they did it um, and, and the way that they built alliances on campus and you know, it's a great, really positive story. So so when I first heard that uh, there was talk of the station getting sold in 2018, I, I was really saddened because, you know, I didn't want to lose my amazing case study here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just sort of a sad PS to the whole story. So, you know, I'll, I'll keep tabs on this. And, and, and we have reached out to some people who had also worked on the 2005 fight to save the station and hopefully we'll get some more perspective from them right so you've reached out to some folks to hear uh, about this story and 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 you just the calls have not yet been returned yeah we're just waiting to get more more news um and and there were 
you know, I heard that students were possibly meeting with administrators uh, this week, so I've yet to hear how that went down. Uh, but I've written as much as I know up to this point on Radio Survivor in my College Radio Watch column. So you can take a look there for the latest updates and also links to some of the groups that are working to fight the alleged sale. And I just want to note that uh, University of Evansville is a small private university, so it's about 2,500 students. I think it's always interesting to note whether sometimes, I don't know whether it makes a difference, but I think sometimes it does, whether they are private colleges or public. You know, if they are public universities or colleges, they may have more uh, public obligation. There may be other mm-hmm. other other places where a decision might need to be reviewed. A board of regents might need to be involved or a board of trustees or something like this. Uh, whereas with a, a private university or college, there's probably uh, less oversight that, that would come from a public body. Yeah, and in some of the college radio station sales that we've covered, that's been the case where you know, often it's it's easier to find information when it's a public university and, and things maybe have to be discussed more openly. So, but there's every variation of that pattern. Um, you know, sometimes things are happening between a public and a private university and, and, and so you don't always have information coming from both sides in that case. So unclear so what's we'll, happening. We'll, 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 we'll try to, tabs. yeah, we'll keep on, we'll keep on it. And like, I mean, I, I just want to say out loud into the microphone that Radio Survivor, we sort of established that one of our values is that we really, uh, we really appreciate when college stations are available for next year's students. I always think about the children are the future, and it's it's a new semester yeah, starting right and, now, and it's always it yeah. always seems like a um, it's a real loss that's really difficult to quantify, especially for us radio lovers. The idea that next year's students or this year's uh, incoming students will not get a chance to find out whether or not radio is going to be the experience that sets the direction of the rest of their lives. Because here on Radio Survivor, and especially Jennifer Waits, the traveling radio survivor who visits all these radio stations or just ends up striking up conversations with people where I've learned from you, Jennifer, that one of my, one of the things I, I talk to people now in, in my, uh, in my podcasting and radio life, I find out just how many people had a formative experience where it was college radio that really set them on yeah, their, or high school radio or path. summer camp radio. <laughs> yeah. And it's not always a path of uh, a professional radio career. You, you know, it's not just radio but sometimes it is, and so we we're always we're always on the lookout for for stations to um to be allowed to remain those kinds of institutions for the people who are coming up next. And when and when one particular uh you know bad bad season perhaps, or one uh, administrator who has the power with their pen to make a decision to 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 sell a station and make a windfall for for that year. They make they can make a lot of money that year, but what they lose is a little more intangible unless you're um, deeply uh, unless you love radio as much as we do. Well, let's talk about that flip side. Let's talk about a success story here. How about that? Uh, you mentioned KUSF, right? The the station formerly at uh, the University of San Francisco. Uh, which uh, went off the air in 2011 rather abruptly. Jennifer, I understand now that there's a new community radio station going on the air 
in San Francisco. Right now, a new low-power FM community radio station that in many ways is kind of coming in to fill the void left by the loss of KUSF. Yeah, um, and and first I want to point out that KUSF.org is still alive and well on campus. So there, there's a student-run online station at okay, University great. of San Francisco, KUSF.org. And after kind of a short period of time where they were not operating after that shutdown in 2011, um, they've, been, they've been running ever since as a student-run station. So that, that's one station. But a lot of the alums of, of KUSF 90.3 FM a lot of those alums who were longtime college radio DJs at that station really fought against the license sale at University of San Francisco and subsequently founded a nonprofit called San Francisco Community Radio and ended up applying for a low-power FM license, which they were granted. And, and finally, this week, the week we're recording, they launched over 102.5 FM wow. in San Francisco so it's, you know, an exciting moment. I went to the launch party, uh, which was great. Um, they're actually in a timeshare with San Francisco Public Press, but San Francisco Public Press has yet to launch. So so currently it's a bit funky because uh, KXSF LP, which is uh, the call letters of the new station, is only on the air for part of the day. Which half um, of the day? The the night half or the morning? So uh, it's a mixture. So huh. they're on the air from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. and 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. Interesting. See, now, is it worth – should we talk about timeshares? Because I think they're so fascinating. I know, Paul, you well, you taught me what they are. I mean, here, here's here's why this is sort of – here's why this is important, this going on the air. Uh, and it's for a few reasons. One is, right, it's sort of taking this energy when there was a loss – and turning it into something positive. Which I just learned last week listening to this archival tape from the NFCB is so prevalent. That was how KBU was founded. A group of people were upset that they had lost their uh, their uh, classical radio station, yes. according to Landsman's tape from 1968. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, so- well, and, and a lot of um, people who are sort of refugees from college radio stations have gone on to found right. community radio right. stations, which... I hadn't really thought about it in that way before, but I've heard the story in my travels in a bunch of different places where maybe a college radio station that had community programmers who were really active, something changes, and those community programmers leave and set out to found their own station. Right. So it's it's not an uncommon scenario. But it needs to be recognized and celebrated when, when someone takes loss and turns it into gain. Right. I think the second oh, yeah. thing here is that prior to 2013 the likelihood of a brand new utterly brand new radio station going on the air in san francisco was very 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 slim because the dial was already so full that the opportunity to put new stations on there just didn't exist so if you had a new station happening it was more because somebody a station changed hands or a station changed format so it seemed like a new station which would which would always over an old one which would mean large moneyed interests Correct. got to have a new station, not a grassroots nonprofit community station. Exactly. And low power and low power FM, you know, it wasn't in people's wildest dreams that we would have low power FM stations in 
in urban areas. In urban areas, right. Thank, thank you so, to the activists who made that possible. Who, who made the Low, low, uh, low Power Community Radio Act uh, happen in the in the early teens here, which ultimately resulted in cities like Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, Portland, even Seattle, having the opportunity to have brand new community radio stations. And sometimes the, those groups share. Yeah. Well, so let's get into that, right? So and 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 that's why I wanted to to sort of give that background because. Uh, in a city like San Francisco, although there were opportunities for news stations, there weren't many. And yeah. in a city like San Francisco, a lot of competition. <laughs> there's tons of competition. And yeah. the way the FCC would resolve this competition is through a point system. And you get points for things like being a local incorporated nonprofit. You get points for things like promising to have uh, so many hours of local programming. And there's a whole bunch of these things. And that kind of sorts out. And, it, and then in some cases, stations... Well, right. But in some cases, even stations decide, okay, we'll just sort of join forces. Like, right. we'll just create one organization. Um, but in some cases... that would give you more... That would bump you up. If yeah, you, exactly. If you, if you teamed up with the other super strong local nonprofit, and yeah. now you're two super strong because local nonprofits... The FCC really doesn't want to be in the business of having to make these decisions. Yeah. They want to award licenses. Uh, they would like it to be as straightforward and as I, possible. I know a little bit about SF Public Press. Uh, they're they're like a local grassroots news organization, so it seems like a very good fit. Yeah, and actually, so it makes a lot of sense if you think about the timeshare that San Francisco Public Press is going more for morning and afternoon drive. Yeah, uh, and 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 I've reached out to them. I I don't have updates on when they're going to launch or what programming they're going to air, but you know, I would guess that it, you know it's going to be news oriented, so it's going to be. I think a really great compliment to the the music, mostly music oriented KXSF. Yeah. But ju- just to follow up on that last point about about these timeshares, right? The timeshares when the FCC is unable to find a resolution. You have two groups that basically tie, and they're still working independently from one another. And the FCC will say, "Okay, well now here work it out. You each get half." And 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 they, again, they send it to the stations. You you each get half. You work it out. Um, how you how you will share the time, and it literally means that one station will turn off their transmitter, and the other station will right. turn theirs off. They don't on. necessarily have the same studios. Correct. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Right. Sometimes yeah. they can. It's it's a pretty rare phenomenon, and and as things have sort of um, panned out, a lot of these timeshares don't go on very long. I don't right. have the numbers in front of me. I'm and, I'm familiar with one case locally here that that. Uh, that, that that one organization really didn't realize what running a radio station meant. Yeah. They go away, you know. And I think often, well, there, well, and there's some. I just want to point out there's some long time timeshares, uh, and I visited uh, the stations at Villanova and Cabrini, two different college radio stations that that share an FM frequency. Huh. They've been sharing for a long time, and and they alternate days. And are they sharing? So, are they did they go on the air in the two thousands? Uh, is part, are they low power FM stations? Earlier, no, they're not low power. Are they so. FM stations? Yeah, interesting. Neat. Yeah, new information. Yeah. Paul Reisman. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, know. I mean, I, I mean, every category of station you can think yeah, of, yeah. you know, exists. So that's right. No, I mean, it, they're just there. There are very few of them, but but they they do exist. And I think what we've seen is a lot of these timeshares. Right after time, some of the participants work out, or and in part they feel like they can drop out. Because they are assured the the frequency will remain in community. It doesn't. The radio station, the lights don't go off 
they just they they hand it over. They hand it over to somebody else, and the the baton is passed. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a nice way to to keep radio going. But it's nice to see that this news station is is on the air in San Francisco. Yeah. It looks like there's a Our lot congratulations of congratulations. A the, lot of very dedicated volunteers making it happen. I will tune it in over the internet if it is available to me. That's and that's what exciting. I mean. What I also like to think about is the patience involved with right. starting this whole process Seven in 2011 years. to you know, protest the KUSF sale and then regroup and start an online station and form a nonprofit and apply for a new license. And and there are people that have stuck around during that whole period. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. a um, testament, a, think, a real testament to them. And I don't know if we talk about that much on, on the podcast, but the amount of time it takes between applying for a low power FM and receiving the license, you know, some people lose interest and, and it, drop and out. It, and well, it isn't necessarily this long. <laughs> so just to put things in perspective, because remember, we, we followed this very closely. It was before the podcast began. But uh, Jennifer and I in particular followed the licensing process of these low-power FMs very closely. There were construction permits going out in early 2014 from license applications put in October of 2013. So that's true. three to four months later. However, but people were um, preparing and awaiting the window and getting their nonprofits in order a few years before that. Sure. Also. Yeah. But I'm just saying that that from the from the. But you're right. Yeah. But however, in the situations in which you had competition, because I believe the competition for 102.5 at one point was something like 10 or 12 lic- possible licensees like. The fact that they winnowed it down to two is sort of a Herculean task. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I think so. Low Power FM is like the gift that keeps on giving here at Radio Survivor. We'll never, we'll never get tired of talking about Low Power FM. It's a very, it's a really, Until really... the last station gets put on no, the air, I think then, it, like we have a few more left, it right? Was, <laughs> it was really a, um, a, a one-of-a-kind moment in the history of community radio. It, will it always is the be biggest expansion of community radio It will always be interesting ever. to talk about, even, even if it... Uh, doesn't I mean it changes because now these stations are on the air. Let's talk about uh, how they do in the decades exactly. to come. Paul, you had one well, more story. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, I mean, it was that's that's part of why it was exciting for me to go to the launch party for KXSF because it's like how often do you see a station launch? And and I was there in Philadelphia when um, another low power FM station launched, and you know it's this. Exciting opportunity that not many of us get to experience, you know, seeing a new station going on the air. Yeah, it's a good party. But on a sad note. Well, I mean, it's a whole bunch of news out of podcasting. So there are sad notes. There are interesting notes. Um, You know, we we, we talk about podcasting because we do podcast. And it's a very – it's still a a comparatively small and nascent industry, if you will, uh, getting bigger all the time. But still, a lot of very there's a lot of grassroots still extant. I think it's interesting in to even call it an industry yes, to some people. Exactly. But we had some news uh, just in the last few days. So on September 13th, we learned that Panoply, which is a network originally spun out of Slate. So if you think of Slate.com. Uh, Panoply is a podcast network spun out of that operation, formerly owned by the Washington Post. Announced that they're basically shutting down. So they're shutting down the production of podcasts, and then they also sell ads on the podcasts. Um, and you know, it's a bit of a sad note because they make some really wonderful shows. Right. Well, a lot of a lot of people who um, have a, a nice 
a really rare thing, which is a job mm-hmm. making podcasts uh, just lost their job. Yeah. That's, that's the saddest part. Yeah, producers. And, you know, and there are some shows that they simply just sell ads onto. So meaning that they that they're independent productions uh, or produced by a different operation and and then Panoply sells their ads. Uh, So maybe those shows will have a little bit more opportunity to go join up with a different company or find independent. The uh, company that you work for. It could be my company I work for. It could be another company. Paul Reismandel works for uh, mid-roll media when he's not uh, a founder of radio survivor right. separate things and so they're going to concentrate their efforts there on uh their product they call megaphone and megaphone is a podcast hosting platform okay uh so you know you and then but they offer a bunch of value add kind of services uh to people who make and distribute podcasts it's extremely big news in podcasting because here in the united states of america really what there's three now things what what is podcasts right podcast is so many things anybody can say they're a podcast everybody can be a podcast and yet when it comes down to um people who make a living who can pay their mortgage in podcasting it's few and far between and panoply was really one of the few i mean you almost it's like you have radio networks that are into podcasting where people can get paid and where people really, you know, when we see public radio have yeah, a big Yeah, so presence. National Public Radio or... WNYC. Or the, yeah. And um, and then and then there's there was Panoply. That was a big deal. Yeah. So apparently Slate will continue to produce its podcast, which has right. continued to have under its banner. Because that was, that was where it grew out of, you know, one podcast at Slate in 2007 grew into this company. Yeah. More or less. And apparently uh, some of the producers at Panoply will have the opportunity to apply for jobs over at Slate. How wonderful. Yeah, but that's uh, that's about <laughs> all I know of that. Um, and at the same time, we learned uh, also on September 13th that iHeartMedia, the right. former Clear Channel, uh, purchased the podcasting and video company uh, uh, How Stuff Works. Interesting. And Again, a for podcast, like, one podcast, How Stuff Works, which grows into a network, which now has been purchased by, um, you know, the a, largest radio company in the United States, which is currently in bankruptcy proceedings. I'm glad. <laughs> they, yeah, that was the part of the story that I found rather confusing. <laughs> well, it was cheap compared to compared to all the radio stations. That I mean, really, yes. In fact, in, in the in, 90s, I mean, compared to compared to, say, a major market, uh, big FM station. Yeah, it, it didn't cost really any more money than that. Yeah, it was $55 million is what has been reported in the press uh, is how much they bought How Stuff Works for. Uh, it had, at one point, How Stuff Works was owned by Discovery Communications as in Discovery Channel. They've been passed around. Yeah, at that time, Discovery bought them for $150 million. Although I'll note wow. that How Stuff Works has not, they've really it's focused all- more on podcasting in the last few years. The company also had a pretty big video operation as well. Sure. Uh, so it, a bit more than just a podcast company and has a pretty big online presence. So they're, they are powerful in podcasting, but they are not just a podcasting company. They're a media brand. They're a media brand, as we say. Uh, what was confusing about the, uh, about the fact, <laughs> about the bankruptcy stuff there, Jennifer? Why did you say that was confusing? Well, oh, if you're bankrupt, I didn't know you could go out and go shopping. Well, it does need to be approved <laughs> by the uh, bankruptcy court, is my understanding. Right. 
And I like mean, if I was bankrupt, I don't know if I would spend fifty five million. But I mean, well, I guess that's but, business today. Yeah, right? but Jennifer, you are not iHeartMedia. Yes. You are Jennifer Waits, and that's why we like you. <laughs> and personal bankruptcy yeah. is very different than business bankruptcy. Yeah. And then iHeartMedia, Clear Channel. I love their rebranding. And then you know, going back to Slate, uh, the editor of Slate, the publisher of Slate. Uh, is now leaving Pod, Slate. Podcast host, quite quite successful with his recent podcast. Yeah, uh, Trumpcast, yeah, right? I'm a listener. Uh, and uh, he is joining up with Malcolm Gladwell to start their own podcast company. Interesting. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell uh, is the host of Revisionist History, which up to you know now, I guess, was a was a panoply yeah, podcast. Malcolm Gladwell is one of the most famous journalists in the United States. Right. You know, his, his brand, his personal brand as a New Yorker writer, as a as the author of nonfiction books, and now as the host of a hit podcast, he's always uh, he's he's just one step away from having his own television show. Yeah. So, and it's interesting to me all of this. Now, of course, I work in podcasting, and I'm not going to comment say much more about the minutia of all of this stuff. In many cases, I don't know anything anyway. Um, but it, I think. As an observation on balance, right, I think somebody who is a podcast fan or is even thinking about starting a podcast can hear the news about Panoply and think, oh, no, I mean, does this mean I shouldn't podcast? Does this mean, is this, is this a bad sign? And, and I would say, but no, in, because you see it's balanced out by even right. as critical as we can be of Clear Channel, uh, now iHeartMedia, uh, wanting to, to, to take an opportunity to, to buy into podcasting. They have been investing in podcasting a lot in the last year with their own uh, shows yeah, and They've brands. been turning their own radio programs into podcasts and, and, and talking about them as podcasts. And creating some original podcasts as well. Yeah. Um, and then you see, you know, uh, these two folks, uh, Malcolm Gladwell and, and the editor, uh, former editor of Slate, Jacob going off Weisman, to create, Jacob yeah. Weissman going off to create their own company as well. I mean, I think, you know, you can't take any one company's entry or exit as evidence that podcasting is or is not healthy, right? Uh, because we don't know. We don't know what, what the basis of the decision was. It's a private company. Right. Not, not, you know, so we don't know what the decisions were made and why certain decisions were made. And moreover, from an independent point of view, if, you know, for Radio Survivor, for somebody who wants to create their own podcast. Uh, this doesn't really change anything. The right. listenership continues to go up. The number of people who know about podcasting goes up. Uh, the number of podcasts out there continues to to increase. The opportunities are there. And I know I hear sometimes from people who, who want to get into podcasting or have just gotten into podcasting, and, they, and, and they're worried. They're like, oh my gosh, there's, there's a glut how do I compete with the new Dr. Death podcast? How do I, how do I do, you know, with all of this, right? And my answer is, well, the same way that the community radio station has managed to survive, even though there's a Z100, right? Even though there's a K-Rock, even though there's some other big, enormous, powerful commercial station in your market, somehow right. people still are on the air in community radio stations and continue to build new ones it's probably if i knew more about the history of the printing press i would say there's probably like a moment when like all these newsletters were flooding the colonies right when benjamin franklin had a newsletter and thomas Paine had a newsletter and someone else was thinking like why even bother having my <laughs> own news why should i even write a newsletter you I mean there's always room for more for more voices especially mm -hmm. on the internet 
which is so far limitless. We're in a limitless moment. Right. And on top of that, right, there's limitless audience growth in a lot of ways. So you don't have to compete with This American Life because perhaps the listeners who you're making your show for, they're not This American Life listeners. They may not be podcast listeners yet. And you have an opportunity to bring new people into a medium because what you're going to offer is something fresh and new. It's your perspective, different voices. Um, And to me, that is sort of a hard-to-grasp benefit, but also a benefit that doesn't happen very often, the opportunity to do that sort of thing, to bring new people to a medium because what you're going to offer is something interesting, new, and incredible. Uh, that reaches different audiences and who are already there. That's a wonderful opportunity. And it's still manifest. It is still here, I think, in podcasting. And especially for people who want to do great community-minded work. People who want to do social justice work. Uh, there is tons and tons and tons of room um, and opportunity to to reach folks who... They don't listen to podcasts because they haven't heard yours. Because someone hasn't made that show yet that really resonates with them. It's big it's a big big headline week for podcasts, but it's uh it hasn't been framed. Yeah, I don't think the it's the final yet been frame. Framed. Yes. The final frame has not been written of of what podcasts are going to be or what they even are right now. So if you're hearing us on the radio and you missed earlier in the show or you've missed past episodes, well, you can hear us at a pod, as a podcast. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Plus, we have show notes. You can follow up uh, and read up and get the background on lots of things that we talked about here. If you have a comment or a tip, send it to us, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. You know what are, my tip is? Yeah. I, all my favorite podcasts that I want to listen to again 10 years from now, I just keep, I archive my own, I make yeah. my own archive now. Yeah. Because you never know, that you know, you can't assume they're going to be downloadable later. Because somebody may just quit uh, paying for their, their website host <laughs> and then anyway. they go away. Uh, and then we are also a listener and reader supported enterprise. To learn more about how you can help us keep doing what we do, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Keep uh, our archives up. Yes. For longer. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Jennifer, Thank you so much for bringing all these stories and your research to bear on today's show. Um, I'm very, very grateful for your input here. Happy, happy to do it, as always, Paul. Thanks again for last week's episode with the with the archives, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters archive. Again, uh, you you Jennifer, you produced that episode on those uh, on those materials. And it was really a pleasure to put together and to listen to. I listened to it twice this week after I finished it because it was just uh, it was a good one. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, and thank you for your work in editing. I know that that is behind the scenes not necessarily people aren't necessarily aware of all of that work it's work handcrafting the episode well it's always a pleasure thank you eric and thank you for spending another hour with us we'll talk to you next week